the greatest male saint in the history of the church, and his sanctity will never be surpassed. And this saint, I will reveal it to you in a moment, there's very little information about him. So we need to do some theological and spiritual digging, that's the will of God, to appreciate him. This greatest saint who ever lived was not a deacon, was not a priest, was not a bishop, was not a pope, was not a hermit, was not a monk. In fact, he was a regular guy. In the gospel, even though there's negativity in what I'm going to quote, because our Lord started to go public and he gave a discourse in a synagogue and people were quite surprised that he would speak publicly. He had never done that before. He had never worked a miracle until he went public. He went public for three years. And the first reaction his listeners had when he gave a discourse in the synagogue in his hometown is the following. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? We turn to St. Mark's Gospel. St. Mark got this information in Peter's homilies in Rome. Where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom given to him? What mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? So what kind of reaction do we have? You're too much of a regular guy to go public. We're kind of surprised at these insights and this wisdom because you're a regular guy. You're a son of a carpenter. The other gospel, I'm not going to read all of them. You're the son of Joseph, the carpenter. You're a son of a very regular guy. At least the external trappings of Joseph are quite pedestrian. Interiorly, he can't be surpassed. It's providential that Joseph, that's the saint, the great saint, was a husband and a father and a worker beset by many contradictions. His faith was severely tested. If he had an American practical mind or if he were a rationalist, I'm getting prepped for tomorrow's talk on the Enlightenment, he would conclude what is this? The Messiah, the Savior of the world, the chosen people have been waiting for him literally for over a thousand years. I think Abraham probably was around 1200 BC. And, and he's born in a, in a cave, laid on a manger. Herod is going to kill him. I got to leave. 
My village wasn't like traveling today, that's for sure. And I have to enter into Gentile country without work. I have to go to Egypt. And I don't know how long I'm going to stay there. I got to stay there long enough until the political situation changes. He's the savior of the world, but he keeps showing up for work year after year as a carpenter. Joseph has tremendous faith and very faithful. In the gospel, there's only one piece of information. Plagiarizing a little bit from St. Jose Maria Scriva, he says, even the silence in the gospel is inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the very fact that there's no recorded word of Joseph. The very fact that there's no biography of Joseph. And another little sign, not a little, maybe a bigger sign from God, that the Holy Spirit has inspired by the church, inspired the church during the Second Vatican Council, or to include Joseph in the first Eucharistic prayer. So after Mary, he's going to be listed. And Pope Benedict, also illuminated by the Holy Spirit, passed on this light he received to Pope Francis of including Joseph in every Eucharistic prayer. The Holy Spirit's telling us something, that we've that we can't underestimate the value of following Christ amid very ordinary, everyday circumstances. There'll be a little bit more of the second meditation. But why is the Holy Spirit, especially now, throughout the history of the church, especially now, emphasizing Joseph? What did Joseph do? We ask that question in our prayer. He's very similar to the Blessed Virgin Mary. They both brought Christ into the world in a different way, but they both brought Christ into the world. Mary brought Christ into the world by saying yes to the angel Gabriel. Will you be the mother of God? It's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be no human intervention here. It's the only conception without human intervention. Now with genetic engineering, I'm not going to go there. But, but I need your colossal yes. I need your faith. I need your generosity. Yes, I'm going to work this miracle, but this miracle hinges on your freedom, on your yes. And so Mary said yes, and now we have our Lord in the world. But it's not finished yet. St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that God gives every individual the graces he needs to fulfill his or her mission. His mission was the greatest mission in the history of humankind. Let's, again, do a little bit of meditational penetrating here. The Gospel of St. Luke says that Jesus grew in grace and wisdom before God and man. If Jesus is really human, and we, that's essential to our Christian faith, 
to believe that he's human. He's like us in everything but sin. That's what St. Paul teaches. That means if he's like us in everything but sin, he did not learn by instinct. He did not acquire virtues instantaneously. He didn't learn good manners instantaneously. He didn't learn to socialize by an infused ability. How did it happen? How did he get the knack of explaining the mysteries of the kingdom with such wonderful imagery? How did he learn to express himself so beautifully? It helps to be God, don't get me wrong. It's definitely a factor. But, and excuse my clumsy lingo, but he couldn't cheat. I mean, if he's going to be human, he's going to be human. Matter of fact, St. Paul said that. I mean, he kind of distanced his divinity, if you will. The human language falls short of the mystery. I always say that so don't get accused of heresy. He got his training, especially in that culture, from Joseph. Mary as well. Mary was his, is his mother. But especially Joseph. How to work. How to speak. How to develop natural virtues of sincerity, of cheerfulness, of being organized, of being polite of sharing with those in need. I mean, every the, the human dimension of Jesus that impresses us so much in the gospel reflects his father, his earthly father, St. Joseph. I mean, he can't have it both ways. I mean, if he's going to be human, he's going to be human. Just, just for a little perspective, I mean, a, a robin doesn't get trained to build a nest. He doesn't go to nest-building school. He doesn't go to a help menu to find out, what's, how can I make a, a Cracker Jack robin's nest? By virtue of being a robin, he or she or both will know how to build a nest. But not a human being. human being has to be educated in everything. There's some instinct, but not too much. The... Gospel says that Joseph was a just man. Just is a very loaded word. I surmise that there's no good word to translate the original Hebrew word for just. It's loaded. It means holiness. It means compassion. It means love. And, and, and the scripture describes him as a just man. And again, let's dwell on him a bit. He, his marriage was arranged, like all marriages in that time. And he had a reputation. He had a reputation of being a very holy man. And Mary had a reputation of being a very holy young lady. Tradition has it, it's not in the catechism, that both of them, because of this special grace they had from God, they both had committed themselves to virginity. But in those days, you had to get married. I mean, it wasn't, you didn't have an option. I mean, you didn't say, listen, I'm going to embrace apostolic celibacy for the kingdom of God. It didn't work that way before Christ came. 
So you had to get married. And so they both had that commitment. They had that agreement. Tradition has that. And now she's with child. Tradition says that he was, he didn't know what to think. Probably, you know, her, Mary's parents said, listen, she's not going out with anybody. She's here every day. She's here every night, you know. She's spectacular in terms of every virtue. And Joseph says, well, I'll put her away privately because this is beyond me. I just don't get it. And then he, the angel appears to him in a dream saying, listen, I got, we got big plans for you. We want you to get your son Jesus ready to save the world. You got to train him. You got to educate him. You got to form him so that he could be the face of God for the rest of history. And your wife has conceived by the work of the Holy Spirit. And again, this colossal act of faith. And he says, yes, I'll do it. I'll give myself total. What's my takeaway with Joseph? I think there's a number of takeaways. Do not underestimate the value of following Christ amid the most ordinary, mundane circumstances. Do not underestimate the contradictions that may seem meaningless and irritating because they're precisely the test of faith. They're precisely the cross that our Lord invites us to bear. Do not underestimate your role. I'm saying you. I'm not saying we because my deal is a little bit different than you. I'm a priest. I preach to good people like you. You're in the trenches of the real world. That you're called, like Mary and Joseph, to get Jesus in that little tiny part of the world you're you're involved with. And usually there's two, just like Mary and Jesus, just like Mary and Joseph, like Joseph and Jesus, there's two little tiny units of the world. The unit of family and the unit of workplace. Those two units of the world, you're called to bring Christ into those little units of the world. How do I bring him into that world? By following Christ very closely, by committing myself totally to Christ. I recall a conversation I had. I was in the Northwestern Hospital. And um, it was a little bit of a dreary, probably about five months ago, dreary Thursday morning, 21 degrees out. Everybody kind of grim expressions on their faces. And I don't know what to call them. The clerk was behind a desk and you had to fill out a form. And this individual was in a very happy mood. And it kind of contrasted with everybody else. And since I had my collar, I took the liberty to ask a couple of personal questions. First, I I do this often. And 90% of the time, I get the answer I want. Or the answer I expect more than want. I said, uh, you look... uh, you look pretty chipper today, I said. I said, thank you for your cheerfulness. Ah, don't worry about it, Father. 
no, it's kind of nice to see a cheerful face. Every, we're all kind of serious here. Oh, well, this is a hospital, you know. Like, well, I know. I said, but anyway, thank you because you're doing a lot of good by being so cheerful. And then he started to uh, preach a little meditation to me. He said, well, don't give me the credit. I go, who am I supposed to give the credit to? He said, give it to the Lord. He said, because I, I'm committed to prayer. He said, you know, I, I make it a point. I don't, I don't know if he was, I don't, he wasn't Catholic. I open up my Bible and I, 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 I read my scripture. I meditate on it. I converse with the Lord. And that's, I think that's why I'm usually in a pretty good mood. I work at it, but I think it's my prayer life. I go, I know it's your prayer life. I'd say one of the takeaways of being a Joseph amid my work where I bring Christ there is that I've got to be committed to prayer. I got to speak with our Lord. It's part of my commitment. And, my, and I have to see my prayer. Yeah, it makes me stronger. Yes, I ward off temptations. Yes, it helps contribute to my salvation. Yes, I could sort things out. Yes, I could have a new lease on life. Those are all good reasons. But it's not the reason I'm looking for right now. The reason I'm the reason the reason here is this is a service to your family and to your colleagues because if you don't pray, you will not reveal the face of Christ. And you will deprive family and friends of experiencing, albeit in a flawed way, we're all flawed, our Lord. That's the analogous way of imitating Joseph. Basically, Joseph brought his son into the world by training him and by forming him. One last brief anecdote And probably Joseph had many of these kinds of anecdotes with his son. Again, it kind of helps to have God as your underling. I heard a story. A gentleman gets a job, and his immediate boss is committed to follow Christ. I mean, he's, but, you know, this is a regular job. And his immediate boss, there's a number of things he's noticing. That he is, first of all, a hard worker. He works hard. And he tries to be very professional. He tries to improve his trade. And that at the same time, his immediate underling, he befriends him. He tries to help him out. He takes an interest in his family, takes an interest in his health. He, in general, he's in a good mood. The superior. They have lunch together once in a while. Colleague, the underling, is a nominal Catholic and takes a shine to his immediate boss. And the immediate boss, in small, tiny doses, tells him, well, my faith is an important part of my life, and that helps me in my profession. It helps me as a husband. It helps me as a father. It helps me as a friend. 
and helps me amid suffering. And make a long story short, the guy's life starts to turn around completely without hearing a homily. The homily he heard was a Christ-like person. The homily was acted out. The homily was incarnated in a worker, in a friend, in a dad, in a father. We finish our prayer using words of St. Jose Maria Escrivá, the patron saint of St. Jose Maria, or the St. Joseph, our Father and Lord, is a teacher of the interior life. Put yourself under his patronage, and you'll feel the effect of his power.